Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to examine our PR nightmare of the week in our Caught in the Crosslight segment. I'll give you my thoughts as a PR expert regarding how Michael Vick did with his apology before the cameras this past Monday when he pled guilty to dogfighting charges. We'll also preview my trip to China. I'm going to be traveling to Beijing and then to Shanghai for the next two weeks. That's all in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense, a gentleman we've had on the show before, Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Dr. Brand last joined us in November with the college football season starting this weekend. I thought it would be a good time to get him back on the show. We'll discuss everything from the BCS to the Final Four when we chat with Dr. Brand in segment four of today's show. A couple of other notes. Visit our improved website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR On Demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, I'm excited to have Dr. Miles Brand on. You know, one of the things he's done such a good job of is helping students to graduate. He's holding these schools very accountable. There are harsh penalties for students and for teams that don't have at least a 60% graduation rate. As they should. They should be held accountable. And as we've talked about for the last year or so, you know, collegiate sports is really becoming the fifth major sport, and so it's always interesting to hear how the dollars and cents work behind the NCAA. Yeah, you see a guy like Nick Saban go from the Miami Dolphins to coach University of Alabama's football team. Guy's making $4 million a year. And then the other thing I want to ask Dr. Brand about is some of these football facilities and basketball facilities, they're better than what we see in the NFL and in the NBA. There are enormous amounts of money being spent. And here's the key, Nathan. The NCAA wants to keep their tax-exempt status. Every time someone goes out and spends more money on one of these coaches, Dr. Brand, I would think, would kind of sit back a little bit and go, oh, boy, it's going to be a little bit harder to keep that tax-exempt status now. Well, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see in the future, years from now, if NCAA sports no longer keep their amateur status, if players start getting paid to play. Well, I think we're a long ways away from that. We'll see. But the coaches are making a lot of money. More than the professors. Yeah, a lot more than the professors, and some of the professors have a big problem with that. Coming up next, headlines, lots of headlines. The U.S. Open got started in New York this week. We'll discuss that. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, Falcons quarterback Michael Vick officially pled guilty to federal dogfighting conspiracy charges this past Monday. The NFL has suspended Vick indefinitely, and Vick's sentencing before Judge Henry Hudson is set for December 10th. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and Eric Holder, the league's independent investigator in the Vick case, are reportedly scheduled to meet with Vick before he is sentenced. The Falcons, as we discussed last week, are going to try and recoup $22 million that's already been paid to Vick, and Vick has received about $40 million in guaranteed bonuses, not including his base salary. So, Nathan, as we discussed, the Falcons are going to try and get money back from Vic. Nike officially terminated their contract with Vic. As we've discussed, he's going to lose a ton of money, but here's what's going to be interesting to see. How much time in jail is he going to spend? Henry Hudson is not a guy who goes lightly. He usually uh, leans towards the maximum sentencing instead of the minimum. And then what is this meeting with uh, Commissioner Goodell going to produce? Well, yeah, it's not only how much time is he going to spend in jail, but how much time after he gets out of jail is he going to be suspended from the NFL is what I'm interested. If Roger Goodell obviously said he has suspended him indefinitely right now, will it be two years? Will it be a lifetime ban with the opportunity to appeal that? We'll have to see. Obviously, he's in the hole right now with all of his sponsorship deals, and I know we're going to talk about the apology coming up in the Caught in the Crosslights, but it'll be interesting to see if that apology helps any of his future endorsements. Let me ask you this. Give me your prediction right now when you factor in the sentencing, so jail time and suspension from the NFL, how long do you think Michael Vick is going to be gone from the NFL? I think we will see Michael Vick back in the NFL in four years. That's my guess. I, I bet he spends almost two years in jail, maybe a little less, but then I bet he's suspended for about two seasons. Okay, I'm going to say that he's going to go to jail for two years and then I think he's going to get at least a season. Again, as I've said, if Pac-Man Jones, who is not a convicted felon, not a, that I'm a Pac-Man Jones fan, but if he's not a convicted felon and he's been suspended for a year, I think you've got to give Vic, who is now a convicted felon, more than a year. So it's probably three and a half, four years. I think that's a pretty good guess. Uh, Nathan, this is a, a good headline for you. The U.S. Open began this week at the USTA National Tennis Center in Flushing Meadows. It's projected to take in $110 million in profit on $220 million in revenue, according to the Sports Business Journal. It's going to draw about 700,000 fans over the course of the tournament, which would be a record. The popularity of the event, played in New York, increases every year. Oh, yeah, and, and every year it gets bigger and bigger. And most people don't realize this. The U.S. Open is one of the biggest sporting events in the world. The World Cup is obviously number one, but people come from all over the world, not just New York, and obviously you, New York is a mecca, and it's also become such a mecca for advertising. You see Nike, you see American Express, you see Visa, you see all sorts of advertisers come into the U.S. Open year in, and uh, there's some, been some great ads already this year. Well, and because the East Coast media drives what happens in this country, when the players are in New York, they're doing things for their endorsers. We saw Maria Sharapova signed a deal with Fathead. She's their first female athlete. They have a five foot nine inch wall sticker available for ninety nine dollars via fathead.com. 
Dan Gilbert, who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's been on this show. He's the creator of Fathead. Serena Williams, Venus Williams, they've been promoting things. Roger Federer has an all-black outfit for his evening matches. It's inspired by a tuxedo complete with bonded satin tape down the legs of his shorts and warm-up pants. So Nike doing special outfits for Federer and Sharapova. Well, every year now, Nike seems to come out with some sort of new outfit. We saw the cat outfit from Serena Williams a couple years ago. So it's almost become a display of what they're going to wear. Sharapova wearing the red evening cocktail dress for her night under the lights. And then American Express always doing great ads. They got a great one with John McEnroe this year playing off, as always, his arguing with the umpires. But check it out. Watch the U.S. Open. This is a fantastic ad. One of the things I want to go back to Nike about is the thing I don't understand about Nike is you see these outfits that Federer wears and that Sharapova wears. Last year she wore the black cocktail dress. It was very popular. They don't sell them. They're not available at retail. Well, it's the same thing with the Wimbledon, uh, the Wimbledon suit that Federer wears, the white, you know, nice uh, leisure suit. I would love to own one of those, but they don't sell that either. So our next headline, this is a sad one. Richard Jewell, a lot of you may remember him. He's the former security guard who was wrongly linked to the 1996 Olympic bomb bombing and then waged a decade-long battle with news organizations to defend his reputation. He died Wednesday. Uh, he supposedly had heart disease. He was 44. Nathan, the reason this is important is he sued several news organizations. He won, but the media was so quick to convict him. They were so quick to look for a scapegoat after those bombings. And I think a lot of the media has learned the lesson in sourcing and making sure that before you blame someone like this, you better have your facts together or else you're going to get sued. Well, I don't know if the media has learned their lesson. We look at the Duke Duke lacrosse case recently, and the media was quick to jump all over the Duke lacrosse players, and look how that turned out. Very tragic. I know the family is still seeking one more media uh, case right now. Well, he sued several media companies, including NBC, CNN, and the New York Post. He settled for an undisclosed amount of money. The guy who was the bomber was an extremist named Eric Rudolph. He's doing life in prison. Our next headline, Adidas this week confirmed that it has extended its deal with the German Soccer Federation to sponsor the country's national team until 2018. They're going to pay around $34.1 million annually. Nathan, several months back, we talked about the absolutely ludicrous deal that Nike was prepared to offer the German Soccer Federation just to steal them away from Adidas. That was an eight-year, $816 million offer. I think that was just used to drive up the price for Adidas. I don't know if it did that, but luckily, Nike didn't spend that ridiculous amount of money. They could have gone and purchased a... NFL team for that amount. Well, yeah, you know, this is still such a breath of fresh air to see someone being loyal. That You know, the German Federation and national team has been loyal to Adidas from the get-go, and it wasn't about money. It was about sticking with the brand from Germany, and I, I respect him for that. Our next headline, Milwaukee Bucks first-round draft pick Yi Jianlian has signed a multi-year deal with the team after owner Herb Cole and GM Larry Harris made a trip to Hong Kong to conduct negotiations with Yi and his representatives. Yi is expected to join the team in time for training camp on October 1st. Now, Nathan, the interesting thing about this story is the Chinese Federation and the national basketball team, they want to make sure that before Yi signed a deal in the NBA that he was going to get plenty of playing time because the number one thing for them is they want to make sure he's going to be doing great things in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. If that wasn't going to be the case, then they were going to try and force 
the hand of the Bucks to trade Yi to another team. Well, yeah, and you'll have to report on how well they're promoting him over there in China when you go over there in a couple weeks just to see if if, if his name's on billboards, face on billboards. Now that he's locked down and signed a deal, it'll be interesting. Well, he's got a big deal with Nike. He's one of their primary uh, endorsers in the Asian market, so I definitely will be looking for that. Our last headline of the week, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, a guest of this very show, boxer Floyd Mayweather, and Indy 500 champ Helio Castroneves. They're among 12 celebrities who are going to be participating in Dancing with the Stars. Nathan, what do you think? Well, I, you know, Mark Cuban's right up there with Kenny Wayne for me because I think that he's going to be entertaining to watch. But if I'm actually betting on someone to do well and succeed, Floyd Mayweather. Here's a guy who's light on his feet. He could probably dance around pretty well. Now, here's the thing. I talked to Mark Cuban's representatives this week. I'm hoping to have him on the show uh, in the next month. And don't forget, Cuban told us here on this oh, very show, right. one of his first jobs was as a disco dancing instructor. We're going to have to find that audio and play that for you. But I think he may be a dark horse. Oh, well, we'll have to see. I, I, I still can't picture him dancing around the floor. Maybe disco. That's a different era. The other thing I got to say, this is, people are going to laugh at me. I'm excited. As a 90210 fan, Beverly Hills 90210, oh Jenny Garth is going to be on the show. Brian dates himself yet again. <laughs> Coming up next, we're going to go inside, caught in the cross lights. I'm a PR expert. I'm going to tell you what I thought of Michael Vick's apology this last Monday. Pretty heartfelt. Nathan will give his thoughts as well. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, we all saw it this week. This past Monday, Michael Vick pled guilty to dogfighting charges. He stood in front of the cameras and gave a very heartfelt apology. If you haven't seen the apology, go online to sportsbusinessradio.com. It's on the blog. But I'm a PR expert. I want to analyze this with Nathan. Let's go caught in the crosslights. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Crosslights. So one of the things, when people get in trouble, will they admit they're wrong or are they going to deny things and, and not say that they're wrong? Here's Michael Vick's apology earlier this week, this last Monday. For, for most of my life, I've been a football player, um, not a public speaker, so... Uh, you know, I really don't know, you know, how to say what I really want to say. Um, you know, I understand this 
it's important or not important, you know, as far as what you say, but how you say things. So, um, you know, I take this opportunity just to speak from the heart. First, I want to apologize um, you know, for all the things that, that I've done and that I've allowed to happen. I want to personally apologize to Commissioner Goodell, Arthur Blank, Coach Bobby Petrino, my Atlanta Falcon teammates. Uh, you know, for our, pre for our previous discussions that we had, and I was not honest and, and forthright in our discussions. And uh, I was ashamed um, and uh, totally disappointed in myself, to say the least. Uh, I want to apologize to all the young kids out there for my immature acts and, uh, you know, what I did was what I did was very immature, so that means I need to grow up. I totally ask for forgiveness and understanding as I move forward to bettering Michael Vick, the person, not the football player. I take full responsibility for my actions. For one second, will I sit right here? Not for one second, will I sit right here and point the finger and try to blame anybody else for my actions or what I've done? I'm totally responsible, and those things just didn't have to happen. I feel like we all we all make mistakes. It's just I made a mistake in using bad judgment and making bad decisions. And. Those things, you know, just can't happen. Dog fighting is a terrible thing, and I didn't reject it. Um, I'm upset myself, and you know, through this situation, I found Jesus, and you know, I asked Him for forgiveness, and have, has turned my life over to God. I think that's the right thing to do as of right now. Um, and like I say, for this, this entire situation, I never pointed the finger at anybody else. I accept the responsibility for my actions and what I did. And now I have to pay the consequences for it. But in a sense, I think it will help You know, me as a person. I got a lot to think about uh, in the next year or so. You know, I offer my deepest apologies to everybody out there in the world who was affected by this whole situation. And you know, if I'm more disappointed with myself, if anything, it's because of all the young people, young kids that I've let down, who look at Michael Vick as a role model. And to have to go through this and put myself in this situation, um, you know, I hope that every young kid out there in the world look, watching this interview right now who's been following the case, use me as, as an example to using better judgment and making better decisions. Once again, I offer my deepest apologies to, to everyone. And I will redeem myself. I have to. So I got a lot of downtime, a lot of time to think about my actions and what I've done. 
and how to make Michael Vick a better person. Thank you. You know, Nathan, I've got to say, you know, as a PR person who trains celebrities and athletes on dealing with the media, dealing with crises, this was one of the great celebrity mea culpas that I've ever seen. And I thought the wisest thing that Michael Vick did in all of this was he didn't use note cards. He didn't use a teleprompter. He spoke from the heart. And because of that, I think people had more compassion for him. Well, certainly, I it was more believable to me. I believed Michael Vick when he said it. Too many times we see athletes, celebrities get up there and it's a prepared speech that they're looking down at and it sounds like a robot. This was genuine from Michael Vick. And I believe that he really is sorry about what he did. Now, we have to see what he does in the future to redeem himself. But the two things that I'm going to pick at is I hate it when athletes and celebrities talk in the third person. I think they lose a lot of credibility. And like I know we've talked about before, you know, finding God, I think that's fantastic. But I think too many times people use that as a crutch. Yeah, I agree. I think it was used in this case as a crutch. You know, I don't know Michael Vick. I'm not going to say that he hasn't found religion. Maybe in this situation it's a good thing if he hadn't found religion before. But I think too many times when athletes get in trouble, when they're facing crises, they fall back on religion and they say, okay, if I fall back on religion, it's people are going to be in an arm's length for me. Listen, this was all choreographed, but it came off well from the way Michael Vick dressed. Look, at he's cut his hair. He used to have dreads. He doesn't have dreads anymore. He's in a suit. He's not in you know, a retro jersey or urban outfitting, anything like that. He's not in casual clothes. It was all business. And the thing I give him credit for, and this is what NFL Commissioner Goodell is going to look for, this is what... NFL GMs are going to look for, GMs that may sign him when he's out of jail, when he's done doing his suspension. Is the guy really sorry? Bottom line is this. We live in the most forgiving country in the world. Kobe Bryant has come back. Ray Lewis beat murder charges. Marv Albert has come back from... O.J. Simpson hasn't come back, though. Okay, O.J. Simpson (laughs) hasn't come back. And yes, Michael Vick is a convicted felon. But I'm going to predict right now that if Michael Vick goes to prison, he pays his penance, he stays clean, and he stays out of trouble during his NFL suspension... When the day comes that he is eligible to play football again, there will be an NFL general manager that says, I'm going to take my chances with this guy again. Ray Lewis was up for murder charges. Since that time, he's been completely clean. I think someone out there is going to say, this guy's got talent. He's eager to prove that he can redeem himself. I'm going to give him a chance. Well, let me ask you this. If you're if you're a GM, obviously you're going to give him a chance, possibly. If you're a company at Not this point, in a million years. If you're a company in the future. Not in a million years. I don't touch him. I don't touch him at all. He's too big of a risk. Like we've talked many times on this show, it is a very small select pool of celebrities who are asked to endorse products. Those people have to be squeaky clean, and they also have to have very well-known reputations. This guy's reputation is tainted for life. No one will touch him with a 10-foot pole. He'll be very, very lucky if he gets to play in the NFL again and earn a career making a lot of money in that, but no way is any endorser going to touch him. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk to NCAA President Dr. Miles Brand. I'm excited. Uh, this is my last week in town, and then I'm heading over to China. I'm going to be in Beijing. I'm going to be in Shanghai. September 14th, I'm scheduled to be at a game that uh, not really announced yet, 
but let's just say several NBA players are going to be playing in Beijing at a charity game. I'm going to sit down with several of the very prominent players that will be playing in that game, and I'm going to bring you that audio when I return from Beijing right here on Sports Business Radio. You know, as I've said so many times, it's a great mystery to me what's going on in the Far East, and I'm really looking forward to this trip. Well, there's a lot of speculation surrounding whether or not Beijing is ready for the Olympics in terms of their air quality, in terms of their terror threats, and so it's, it, I'm interested to hear what you have to say from your perspective in terms of you know, what type of corporate sponsorships going on there? Do the venues look like they are safe, essentially? I mean, this is the biggest Olympic Games that we've seen in our era. Well, and the Chinese government is putting so much pressure on the workers and all of the people of China to pull this off with flying colors. This is the first time they've ever hosted the Olympics. They are on the world stage, and the Chinese government does not want to blow this opportunity. They don't want anything to go wrong. Again, I'm looking forward to this trip. Coming up next, though, Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand. He's the president of the NCAA. He's the former president at the University of Oregon and Indiana University. Dr. Brand, thanks for making the time to catch up. Pleasure to be with you, Brian. So, an exciting time of year, one of my favorite times of year. The college football season gets underway this weekend. Looking down the road a bit, the BCS National Championship is going to take place January 7th at the Superdome in New Orleans. That game in the Sugar Bowl should mean millions of dollars to the local economy there. You know, the people in that region have gone through so much since Hurricane Katrina. Give me your thoughts on uh, playing some of your marquee sporting events in New Orleans come January. Oh, I think that's terrific. First of all, New Orleans is a great town for sporting events. Uh, Terrific audiences, and the, the town is really prepared to do it well. But it has an added uh, um, point to it this year, as you point out, namely that this will be an opportunity, I think, for everyone to show support for that part of the country. Uh, it'll be a terrific event, but also we'll be able to show support for those who are still feeling the devastations of those horrible hurricanes. How carefully have you paid attention to the rebuilding efforts in that region? We've looked at it rather carefully, uh, both the stadium itself uh, as well as the surrounding infrastructure. They're making great progress. They're not 100% there yet, in all fairness, but uh, uh, the people in in New Orleans are committed to do a good job, and we have every reason to believe that they will do that. 
Well, I'm sure it's going to be an exciting time. Speaking of large venues, I read recently where there are new requirements for venues wanting to host the men's basketball Final Four starting in 2009. For instance, I saw that you're looking at venues that are 70,000 seats or more. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of those new requirements you're looking for? Yeah, we've always, uh, for the last decade or so, um, longer really, held our uh, men's Final Four in dome stadiums. But we've only used half of it. We've cut it uh, sideways and put in uh, 40 to 50, 55,000 seats. What we're going to do now is use the full length of the court. And the reason we can do that is that the new stadiums like Ford Field in uh, Detroit, where we'll start this, and in Houston, Reliance Field, and other places, is that they're better equipped uh, with, with high technology, so there'll be the flat screens throughout. Everyone can watch uh, on those flat screens. Uh, and in particular, uh, the lines of sight actually will be better, even though there are more people in the stadium than there have been in the past. It also gives us a great opportunity to bring the students up close to the court, which we haven't had before. So at both ends of the court, we're going to have thousands of students standing and cheering, making much more a collegiate environment. So we believe everyone will enjoy this far more than, than the current uh, approach. That's great, and I know that the Colts are going to have a new venue there in Indianapolis. Obviously, the NCAA based in Indianapolis. Are you going to utilize that venue? Absolutely. Uh, Lucas Field, is a, we're going to utilize it as soon as it's done. You, you and your uh, listeners may know that once every five years we do hold a uh, men's Final Four here in uh, Indianapolis, and uh, we've had a hand in uh, helping design that to make sure that it will be uh, very accommodating for basketball fans. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand. He's the president of the NCAA. Dr. Brand, when you joined me last November, I commended you for your efforts regarding the performance of student-athletes in the classroom. One of the reasons for the improved performance is because you are really holding student-athletes accountable. For the first time last May, the NCAA issued warning letters to schools based on academic performance. What kind of sanctions might we see for schools who just don't meet the academic performance bar that you've set? Right. The unit of analysis we've taken is the team, and we're expecting the team and the coach uh, and, of course, the athletic program and the whole school to pay attention to how well our student-athletes do in the classroom as well as on the field of play. Uh, I think this year, when we do away with this small squad size adjustment, the so-called margin of error, we may see, uh, particularly in our high-profile sports, a a number of schools that are going to be sanctioned by at least the loss of scholarship. If they don't correct that in the next year or two, uh, more serious sanctions are forthcoming. How serious do you think, you know, when we talked again last November, college presidents, they're so important to this process. How serious do you think the college presidents are about helping this reform? Oh, I think that's a critically important point you ask. I think the college presidents are leading the parade. There's no question that they're all on board, and uh, they are very committed to make sure that the student-athletes under their charge are going to do well academically. There's no way that this would happen without the leadership of the college presidents. And you're using a system, a system called academic progress rate. Can you briefly explain uh, what that system is? Yeah. Well, we not only look at graduation rates, and incidentally, we do a much better job of measuring graduation rates now by taking into account transfers, but graduation rates are a six-year number, and a lot can change in six years. New coach, uh, new AD, new president. Right. So what we wanted to do is look at it semester by semester so that we have an accurate metric each semester to determine what the predicted graduation rate is. And we have a minimum graduation rate set at 60%. And the APR, uh, the academic performance rate, is a semester by semester um, measure 
of retention and eligibility that allows us to keep on track for that 60% graduation rate. Got it. You know, I want to talk about the money in college athletics for a minute. Salaries for college coaches, they're going through the roof. I see Nick Saban getting $4 million at Alabama. Obviously, Urban Meyer, Billy Donovan down at Florida, they're making a lot of money. How concerned are you about the escalating salaries for coaches in college athletics? You know, I don't think the head coaches' salaries are going to break the bank. I, I don't think that's the issue. But we are beginning to see um, a, a moving together of the markets, for example, in professional sports and at least in football and basketball, men's basketball. And, and that's worrisome because uh, what it does is it, it really may not be appropriate uh, for the college game. I think we have to begin to ask those hard questions. At what point do we say that for higher education, even if it doesn't break the bank, it's inappropriate? And, and I think some of these higher salaries – should uh, cause the ADs and the presidents and especially the boards of those universities to ask the questions. As as you probably know, uh, the NCAA has no role to play whatsoever in hiring and firing coaches or setting their salaries. So it really is an institutional matter. But uh, I think we we should ask our members to begin to think seriously about uh, what is the appropriate level of compensation within a not-for-profit higher education institution. Well, and the other thing, too, I mean, we talk about lots of money. Some of these athletic facilities that are being built, I mean, I'm out here in Oregon, and I see what the Ducks are doing. They rival anything that an NFL facility looks like. So more and more money is being spent on college athletics, and I understand it's super competitive, and that's how you attract the best college athletes to your program. But at what point do you say, wow, we're getting to the point of excess? Um, I I think that's exactly the right question. We have to ask about fiscal responsibility of of these institutions. Uh, We're seeing a rise in the expenditure rate uh, of these key programs at two or three times the rise of the annual expenditure rate in the academic sphere. And for many programs, uh, and indeed the vast majority of programs, they have to be subsidized uh, from, from the rest of the university. And so the question is, at what point is the level of subsidy that moves from the academic to the athletic threatening the core academic mission of the institution. And unfortunately, I think some of our institutions uh, may be approaching that. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand. He's the president of the NCAA. Dr. Brand, I want to ask you about two very large donations that have been made to athletic departments. Obviously, Boone Pickens made the largest donation ever, $165 million to Oklahoma State. But recently, Nike co-founder Phil Knight donated $100 million to the University of Oregon's athletic department. Now, let me preface this by saying, and I know I talked to Wally Renfro about this yesterday, Phil Knight has given millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars to Stanford and Oregon's academics, not just athletics, but what are your thoughts when you see these enormous amounts of money earmarked for athletics? Do you sit up and go, wow, this is great, or do you go, oh, I'm a little worried about that? Well, you know, some people would say, oh, I'm a little worried about that. Uh, I have just the opposite reaction. I think we ought to celebrate it. Um, we ought to celebrate it. It's a rare event. As you pointed out, there have only been two such occasions, uh, two very fortunate institutions, Oklahoma State and Oregon, uh, being able to take advantage of that. So it's not going to happen very often. And these donors, which have this very special level of capability, um, are interested in athletics. Now, in the case of Phil Knight, you correctly point out that he has given uh, an enormous amount of support for the university's academic mission. He obviously has a great interest in athletics. In both those cases, to the best of my knowledge, uh, those gifts have been received without any strings attached. It's not being required that the uh, donor be able to pick the next coach or anything of the kind. 
Um, in the case of Oregon, I, I assume most or all of it will go for the building of a new uh, basketball stadium. Um, so I think they're being used properly. I think the um, donors are sophisticated. They understand what their role is, and they're just great supporters of those programs. I think it's a, it's an opportunity to celebrate. Um, and do, don't you agree that, you know, the science departments and the philosophy departments, they're not on TV all the time. Athletic sports are. So that's why these donations, especially Boone Pickens and Phil Knight, get so much attention, but maybe when a donation is made for an academic grant, that doesn't get as much media headlines. Well, you know, uh, Phil Knight, for example, uh, in honor of his father, uh, gave a great deal of money to the uh, library, right. which, was, which is an important thing. Uh, he also gave a great deal of money to Stanford's business program. I mean, these, these are terrific programs. You know, major donors of this kind select where they want to put their money. Right. Now, you, you may or may not know that I, I'm a philosopher, an academic philosopher, and have been in philosophy departments, and I'd love to see a lot of money go to philosophy departments. Um, and that actually is increased if you create good relationships with donors. Um, but the donors get to choose. Now, the universities should accept the gifts, and to the best of my knowledge, they only do that, should accept the gifts only if there are no strings attached, only if they're being used in a way that's appropriate to the institution's mission. Um, so I think these are terrific gifts. We ought to honor the people who give them and celebrate those gifts. We've got time for just a few more questions. I read an AP story uh, where you were recently quoted as saying only six Division One athletic departments have shown a profit during the past six years. My question is, explain that to me, because usually in the pro sports, uh, the athletes are costing you most of the money. Well, these are student athletes. They're not being paid. So how are you not making a profit? Well, Think of what goes on in the NFL or the NBA. They have only one sport, and they focus on that sport, which has great fan appeal, and they, they sell the media rights to television. What we do at universities is we have at least 16 sports in Division One. Many institutions have 50 or 100% more than that, and we uh, have student athletes, young men and women, who are playing in sports that aren't producing any revenue. Rather, they, they're being sponsored by the institution and the athletic department to provide participation opportunities for these young people. The reason why we sponsor sports in universities is to provide educational value to those young people. It's not just playing the game, but it's what you learn developmentally as part of being a student athlete. It's striving for excellence, learning how to persist and work hard and be a good team member. All those factors are the reasons why universities really sponsor sports. So if that's the reason, then obviously they want to sponsor as many sports as possible, getting as many students, five to 800, for example, in Division One is the average. And by doing that, I think it costs money other than the revenue sports. That's the reason why athletic programs cost money. So essentially, basketball and football make a ton of money, but those are paying for golf and tennis and softball and, and those other secondary sports. That's what you're saying. Uh, for the most part, but... Sometimes basketball and football don't make money either. I think about two-thirds of the football uh, teams in Division One lose money. So let's not jump to the conclusion that everyone's making money hand over fist. Just the opposite. The vast majority of schools, all but six, are subsidizing their athletic programs. Now, there's nothing wrong with subsidy. That's okay, as long as it isn't such a large subsidy that it detracts from the ability of the institution to meet its academic mission. Two more questions. The Big Ten recently launched their own TV network. I've heard rumors about maybe the SEC and the Pac-10 
doing something similar? Is this good or bad for college sports to have these big networks devoted just to one conference? Well, you know, that really remains to be seen. Everyone's watching what happens in the Big Ten Network. They're going to launch in a day or two. Uh, Right now, uh, they don't have a national Comcast, uh, national um, uh, satellite deal. So there'll be some limited uh, availability of the games. But you've got to remember, the, the Big Ten will still show its primary games on the major networks. We're talking about uh, those games that aren't being purchased uh, by the major networks as well as the secondary and tertiary um, sports and, and other opportunities on the, uh, on the campuses to be shown. So we'll see if, if this um, actually works and uh, whether it's revenue-producing or not and, and whether the fan base enjoys it or not. So... I think, uh, on the one hand, I applaud the Big Ten for their aggressive uh, stance and taking their own destiny in their hands. On the other hand, I think we're all waiting to see if it works. Speaking of popular media content, I am a subscriber, a regular subscriber to your podcast, Mondays with Miles. I really like it. I enjoy your candor. What kind of feedback do you get uh, from doing that podcast? Well, thanks for mentioning that. And, and I, the feedback I get almost universally is just the one you gave me. Uh, we work very hard to be uh, candid and uh, casual um, and take on all the controversial issues. Uh, we get a lot of responses back on, on our blog about it. Uh, I, it works well, and, and I'm pleased to do it. Uh, it gives, a, gives me an opportunity to communicate in an informal way uh, with many people who are interested in NCAA sports. Well, Dr. Brand, I appreciate you taking time for us this week. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Again, Dr. Brand, continued success. Thanks so much for making time for us. Thank you, Brian. A pleasure being with you. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for custom fit fine clothing and personal service to match, I call my friend Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. Tom James' highly trained sales professionals like Brian Tacker come directly to your home or office saving you valuable time. Brian plans and coordinates my wardrobe so I am perfectly attired for any situation, whether it's a TV interview, a press conference, or a fundraiser. The Tom James Company offers over 500 suit fabrics and 250 shirt fabrics, and they carry all the accessories you'll need, from belts and ties to shoes and socks. The Tom James Company has been in business for over 40 years, and 80% of their business is generated from repeat customers. Call Brian Tacker today at 503-807-7956 or find his information at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Tacker and the Tom James Company, the official fine clothing partner of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back with our final segment, and USA Today reports the NFL is revamping its red, white, and blue shield logo for the first time since 1980. The new design is going to be slightly taller, a little thinner, with a new football, fewer stars, and darker colors, so keep your eyes on that. All right, Bobby, my producer... 
Nathan, college football season is upon us. I want you to do two things for me. I want you to tell me your national champion for this year and also who's your Heisman Trophy winner. Nathan, uh, let's go with you first. I'd go, uh, I'd go with Darren McFadden from Arkansas for my Heisman Trophy winner. And for my, uh, for my national champion, I know I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. I'm going to say USC, but I would love to say Boise State. I just don't think that they're going to get there this year. Bobby? Uh, I'm going to go with either Chad Henney or Michael Hart from Michigan, and I agree with Nathan. We're going USC, baby. Oh, my oh, yeah. Lord. I like USC. My, my business partner on this show, Josh Blank, he went to USC. His brother works for USC. I'd love to see USC win. I think they've got too tough of a schedule to do it. I'm going to go with West Virginia. They have one of the easiest schedules of all the contenders. They've got a stud quarterback. They've got Steve Slate and the running back. Either one of those guys could win the Heisman Trophy. My... Heisman Trophy winner is going to be Brian Brom, the quarterback from Louisville. He's a stud. You know his coach, Bobby Petrino, who's coaching the Atlanta Falcons right now, is keeping his fingers crossed that maybe he can get Brian Brom with the number one pick in next year's draft. So I'm heading to China this week. I'll be there for the next two weeks, as I've mentioned. I'm very excited about this trip. Next week's show, Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, he'll be joining me. We'll be co-hosting the show from China, send some interviews back from there to our crack producer, Bobby Corser, who will put the show together for you. And then the following week, it'll be the best of sports business radio. We've got some great interviews. Commissioner David Stern of the NBA, A.J. Smith with the San Diego Chargers, and Portland Trailblazers and Seattle Seahawks owner, Paul Allen, he doesn't grant many interviews, so you won't want to miss that one. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and ProTrade.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com and clicking on the podcast page. We have a new news section. That's at sportsbusinessradio.com slash news. If you want to see press releases, anything like that, go to that section. Again, I'm looking forward to my two weeks in China, first in Beijing, then in Shanghai. Guys, you want me to bring anything back for you? Yeah, bring me a T-shirt that I can't understand. Okay, uh, Bobby, anything for you? I'm good, thank you. I'm going to bring you both some water and some fresh fruit. (laughs) That'll that'll make you lose about 30 pounds. Seriously, uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. Uh, We'll talk to you next week from China with Paul Swangard. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Have a great week. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com.